Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, she started out as a ballerina, but somehow pivoted to the world of casting and became one of the most sought after and prolific casting directors in the entertainment industry. Welcome Mary Clay Boland to the podcast. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is the two-time Emmy Award-winning casting director, Mary Clay Boland. Mary Clay started her career at Circle Repertory Theater in New York City. She transitioned to television and became the casting associate at, at Walkin' Jaffe Casting, where she was the casting associate on the first two seasons of The Sopranos. She then moved on to the casting department of Warner Brothers Studios Television, where she worked on casting over 40 pilots, including Everwood, Smallville, Gilmore Girls, George Lopez, and Without a Trace. And then also while at Warner Brothers, she cast the first two seasons of Third Watch and Witchblade. And then she did New York casting for ER, The West Wing, and Friends. Throughout her career, Boland has served as the casting director for many independent films, including director Michael Canzanero's Marconi Brothers. Mary Clay worked as the casting director for CBS's soap As the World Turns for eight years, and that is where she won two Emmy Awards for Outstanding Achievement in Casting. And I am so over the moon to have my old friend Mary Clay here. Hi. Hi. So for people listening, seriously, that was such a, like, sliver of the projects that you've worked on. And then you took a little hiatus and moved back to Kentucky <laughs> exactly. to, to have a what child. What everyone does, right? What everybody does. <laughs> and um, I feel like part of the thing I love is sort of deep diving into what keeps someone passion going for an extended period of time uh, where they remain like, in love with the thing that they started out doing. And a lot of people on this podcast, even if they've kind of pivoted into other areas of the entertainment industry, started out as a performer themselves. And I'm wondering if that was true for you as well. Um, actually, I was never an actress, but I did. I was a ballerina. For I always say the first part of my life, I was a ballerina and the second part casting director third mother. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I performed a lot with the Louisville Ballet and then would come to New York and dance in the summer and was actually a ballet major at Indiana University. So I had performed in that regard. But when I started um, studying theater and I became a theater major and focused on directing, 
I, well, why did you pivot from ballet dancing to majoring in theater? Like, right. what happened in that moment? It basically, <laughs> I I physically was hurting a lot with the mm-hmm. ballet. I've actually had hip replacements since then and stuff. And also, I kind of just realized, um, you know, unless it is just something you have to do, ballet is a very difficult life to lead. And yeah. since in high school, I was lucky enough to dance with a professional company and be their core. I was sort of, I didn't see myself becoming a prima ballerina with New York City Ballet, you know. So I was like, I, you know, I just think this is a very difficult life. And although I love it, I didn't want to teach it, which is why you would get a degree in it. So right. I just uh, looked elsewhere. And um, one of my passions was theater, um, as well as I focused on TV and communications. So um, the Actors Theater of Louisville is a huge, uh, highly reputable regional theater. So many incredible performers come through that program. Exactly. Were you going to that theater to see stuff as a kid or were you oh, in yeah. a different? Okay. Oh, were. no, no. Yeah. I grew up uh, going to actors quite a bit. And it was actually the casting director there. I didn't know casting was a job. Right. <laughs> so when I graduated from school, I was sort of like working for my father's company and I was uh, did not want to stay there. And um, I found out about casting through, it was actually through an internship book. <laughs> and I was like, wait. And when I directed in college, I loved the audition process uh-huh. and loved working with the actors, but I didn't know there was an actual casting position. So um, I saw these internships and I was like, I think that's what I want to do. So I applied to several internships, one at Circle Rep, which I ended up taking in New York, but also to Actors Theater. And um, I, I got accepted to that one and I then I got accepted to New York and um, the casting director there was very lovely and she was like, well, do you want to end up in New York? Or And I was like, yes. And she was like, well, then I would take that one. Yeah. You know, I was kind of like the safer move felt to if I wasn't going to be making any money to stay in Louisville and, you know, deal with it that way. But um, I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to go for it because I'd been in New York dancing for a couple summers. So I kind of knew the city and knew that that's where I wanted to live. But that's a big deal. I mean, so many people come to New York and it is complete. Cult- it is culture oh, shock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, at Circle Rep, it was a hundred dollar a week stipend for a year internship. So <laughs> I had several other jobs as well while <laughs> while doing that. But Stuck with casting because I loved it. Amazing place to start. It was interesting because I had, you know, studied like Lanford Wilson plays and stuff in college and and all of that. And so I kind of like knew about Circle Raptors. So when you go back, I mean, Bill Hurt was part of the company who just passed away. And that was sort of um, the launching pad for so many. You know, Lanford Wilson was was sort of. the, the resident playwright. I mean, just the most incredible people. So when you look back at that time and you're sort of learning on the job, what are the things that when you think back, like, huh, I learned that when I was starting out in the 90s and I still, to this day, that's how I still do it. Are there things from that time that you sort of took with you or has it been a whole reset in a way? No, I mean, I think... Initially, you know, one difference is it was theater, and I did end up switching to television, mm-hmm. which is where my passion actually was when I took, you know, I I grew up appreciating theater, but I was never a theater actor. So it was interesting. I learned a lot from Austin Pendleton in sessions on um, adjusting actors. Okay. And, you know, he's a great teacher, too. Yeah. So uh, 
that was super helpful because I, I he helped me learn to articulate what I I don't know why but for some reason I always kind of uh, knew what should work and what shouldn't and I was good and then he helped me articulate and find a language for how to work with actors which really helped me through through it all I mean yeah. I used what I learned there um, I would say through casting and stuff I did learn when I was with Sheila Jaffe and then that with screen and TV that you just obviously minimize 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 and um, uh, learned a lot of tricks there and sort of uh, shorthand for conversation with actors but um, I would say circle rep definitely and then you know so imprinted walk in Jaffe what's so crazy is everyone would be so excited to go into their office a because Georgianne Walken and Sheila Jaffe loved actors. Loved them. And they particularly loved actors and had to because Georgianne was married to Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah. And so the idea as a young actor, just being in a room with someone that you knew went home every night right. to, to Christopher Walken, yeah. there was something like so heady about the whole thing. <laughs> and she was so laid back and low key and normal. Um, and, and, you know, she works really well with actors, too. Yes. I mean, yes. so she is awesome in a session. And you knew that, like, yeah, because she's living with one of the greatest right. actors of his generation. Well, and I actually, it's like he uses it in all his interviews. It's a famous quote, but, uh, and she would say it, and it, it, it is an interesting thing to do. I always tell actors, maybe ignore the stage direction, ignore the punctuation, and just sort of make it your own. I mean, it, obviously, if you're working with specific writers, they don't Unless want that. Unless it's Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> and then actually don't listen to anything Mary Clay Bowling just uh, said. Yeah, exactly. Well, The Sopranos ended up being one of, you know, I mean, The West Wing, The Sopranos, Friends. If you think about the shows that you've worked on, you have been part of, like, cultural touchstones in that way. Um, and so I wonder if you think back, I know that when you worked on The Sopranos, you were an associate, you were sort of more at the beginning of right, your right. career, um, and watching how decisions were made, as opposed to later in your career being really instrumental in, right. in who was able to be cast in something. Um, early on, are you not only getting to be in the room and sort of hear how the directors and writers are talking to the actors, you're also learning or listening to the deals that are being made. Yeah, and right? doing them. And I mean, doing them. all the day player stuff and everything, right. which, and it was, uh, you know, I always say people, it was really um, interesting doing the first season of Sopranos versus the second because the first season, it hadn't aired. I mean, back then, I, I think Sex and the City had aired a little bit, but HBO didn't have any other major shows. I mean, um, so they were kind of like, is this really going to And analyze this was coming out? And yep. so everyone was like, oh, it's a, shr you know, a mobster with the shrink. Right. And they, they just kept and we couldn't send out scripts because it was all private. So we were like, no, no, this is going to air like hiring actors. They'd be like, is this really even going to air? And we're like, yeah. And it's then, a real network. Yeah. And then by second <laughs> season, it was like, you know, every person you can think of calling our office begging for any part on the show. So it was it was interesting doing the deals, like how different it was from one season to the next was like that. Was James <clears throat> Gandolfini an offer or was he did he read he, for he, that? He tested. Yeah. Um, and, uh, no, HBO was, now I was, I came in during that. So Sheila and Georgian were the main people for that one. Once the series got going, that was when I, you know, I had Sheila moved to LA. And so, yeah, okay. I was, it, Georgian and I were sort of doing it, but, um, he, HBO gave 
pure creative license to David because they wanted maybe someone with a bigger name, um, but they were all like, I mean, there was no one better. You know, he was perfect for the role. So, um, yeah, but he did test for that. So there were no direct, there were no offers in that way no. for those lead no. characters. I know Edie, who's you know was on the show. Obviously, right. no one expected. Everyone had a great time on the pilot, but no one had any expectation that it right. would become what it became. Right. No, and I think that's true. You were saying like that. I touched on certain milestones. I while it was happening, you don't really. Sometimes I get kind of. Like, oh, my gosh, when it's 20-year anniversary and it's like people, it's so epic now, you know. And it, when it, you're working on it, it seems wonderful. But also, you know, you don't realize what a big impact that's going to have on your life. And it did for me as far as that, you know, then I left and went to Warner Brothers because I was able to be asked in for jobs like that because of, you because know, you had worked the impact on the of that show. So yeah, is yeah. The Sopranos the thing that you feel like launched you in terms of having a seat at the table? Was that Completely. the credit? Completely. What if you, how do you calm someone down? Like, especially someone that you know, you've seen their work, you know what they're capable of, and something happens to people's bodies in an audition situation that is in no way mirrors how they are on set. Like, they are completely different animals. That's what I always tell people. It's a completely different skill set. And so for a lot of people, their job is actually to be a good auditioner. Right. Before people know who they are. So what, what? Well, and as a casting director, it's our job, I think. Yeah. To the producer and director you're working with to um, be the advocate for the actor who may not be a great auditioner, yet you've seen them in this and this and this, and you know that you can get this from them. Yeah. And to either work with them to get it so that they can do it in the room with the director or tell the director, look, I want you to watch this. Because, you know, so I think that as casting really is an advocate for Mm -hmm. the actor. And um, because I I do think it's a special skill set to be able to audition. And I think there's probably great actors out there that still can't audition and luckily maybe don't have to anymore. Well, they've passed that stage and and luckily we're able to show people who they are as an artist and not as an auditioner. What are things that um, I know that you've taught a lot Mm -hmm. um, and I and do you believe auditioning can be taught the skills to audition? I mean, I I teach like audition technique classes for camera and stuff, and and you can teach angles and voice and sort of um, uh, the skills of how to walk in and you know not not jump into a huge conversation. Let's get to the scene and make choices and make strong choices and stuff like that. But I really do think that um, some people need a full character. They need, you know, they need to immerse themselves. To It's hard with just a snippet of information. Right. Um, which nowadays is a lot of what you're getting. You're not getting full scripts all the time and stuff like that. So um, I think you can teach certain skills about it, yes. And I think you can get better at it and better at it. Um but I do think it's sort of either you have that skill or you don't, you know. Um, you, I, I'm sure. I don't know what you think. You, you were always – I've only auditioned you a couple times but a while ago. But you were always good in the room. I mean, um, but I have had some actors who are just stiff and you just sort of uh, – like I said, you advocate for them. And, and then they totally calm down once, mm-hmm. they're, once they've got it, you know. So, yes. Yeah, for sure. So, have you seen people just derail in front of you 
like, does it just spiral into something where you want to actually? Yeah, I think I have stopped yeah. before and said, let's take a minute and, um, you know, gone out with them and sort of said, okay, let's let's take it back and let's do this and this. And, you it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be okay. And we're okay. And I actually had someone who's like a, a great theater actor who came on um, when I was doing As the World Turns, who I hired, you know, I could hire all the day players and stuff without uh, approval. Have have them come in. Yeah. So I just, you know, I hired and he's great and it was like a three day part or something. And they kept, you know, coming to me and, and they were like, this guy like can't get his line. Like he cannot get, you know, because it's so fast. You know, it's like crazy it's fast. Crazy it was so fast. It was a machine. It was yeah. like a 54 year old show. Yeah. And I was like, no, this guy's like lead it. Like he's amazing. Trust me. He's done he prime time. I've seen him do a million TV show and they were like, okay. <laughs> And he walked in my office afterwards. He goes, that was a nightmare. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it was like, and I mean, and then he was great the next day. But he was yeah. like, that was crazy. Like one take for everything. I was like, yeah, they don't they don't work it through. They need you to just have your choices made and come yeah. in and do it. And, yeah. You know, and, it's incredible. Well, the idea that you went from doing, you know, we actors talk a lot about how they start out with these preconceived ideas about what they will and will not do. And Judith Light is a perfect example of someone who went in kicking and screaming to doing a soap, and it ended up changing her life in so many ways. The skills that she learned, yeah. just as an actor, exactly what you're talking about, just how to learn a tremendous like amount of camp. material. I mean, and to learn, because a lot of the people you hire or we hired were all conservatory actors who had yeah. graduated with a theater degree. Yeah. So and now I know that shifted a lot of the a lot of the schools do a lot of on camera work as well. But they right. didn't then and it was just a great way to get paid, not have to wait tables and, you know, learn how to act on camera and learn how to memorize the script quickly and sort of come in, work with other actors. I mean, it's great practice to do day player work because, you know, you walk in on a series where everyone knows each other and stuff and you're like the guest for yeah. the week or whatever. That's an intense experience. So it's a great skill to learn, you know, as an actor to come in and sort of Well, so here's my fire. question for you. I mean, I think we're at a place now where these lines of like, what is respectful to do and what is like, you know, slumming it or whatever these I preconceived ideas we had they of what we will gone. and won't do. <laughs> yes. But when you switched to casting a soap opera, you had come from I mean when I, I was at, at Warner Brothers. You were at Warner Brothers at at the height of Warner Brothers coolness. I know. All of the shows that you were on, from the Sopranos to the West Wing yeah. So the half hours were like the premier coolest things that everyone wanted to be on with the most extraordinary talents on them. So when you switched to a soap opera, when we were still living in the world of there are soap opera actors and then there are legitimate actors. Exactly. Which, by the way, Julianne Moore play twins. Right? Oh, I mean, on our show. And yeah. it's like, and in New York especially, because L.A., I definitely felt that when I would go to L.A. to cast. Yeah. Um, they would only send in certain actors. Whereas New York, you had so many great theater actors and stuff who were like, yeah, I'm in a Broadway show, but we could get you out by 5 o'clock. So they would come in to do day player stuff for us for the money and to keep their benefits. And the, the, the idea of it, and I don't know if this is true at the time, and again, nothing is like this now, 
models would do this, go in for soaps in L.A. Right. And exactly. theater actors would go in for soaps in yeah, New York. Yeah. So they can yeah. do theater, which they loved, and have a little extra money in exactly. their pocket. It was big. I mean, I had some agents who I still love to this day that were like, what are you doing? You know, but I was also the associate at Warner Brothers and was going to be the head at at As the World Turns. And also, I mean, casting is a fickle business as far as I, I wanted the money, the benefits, and the 401k. Right. I mean, you know, I don't come from my – like, I'd been working my butt off and – You can say butt. I, yeah, I can say butt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I, – I was attracted to the idea of a show that never got canceled. Well, I mean, of course it ended up, but eight years later or whatever, yeah. nine years later. But um, but 54 years, it had a pretty yeah, good track Yeah, it had a good record. run, and soaps were steady, and you could – and what I said when I chose that was um, I said, well, I also want to be able – because they had a, you know, no-conflict clause, so I couldn't do other um, network TV things with CBS, but I was able to – I said, I want to still do indie film. So they were like, okay. So, like, they would let me leave to go to Sundance and stuff like that um, and cast all these indie films. So it was great because I could hire actors that I loved and give them jobs and monies. But then also artistically, like, do independent film and, um, you know, work for, you know, you aren't making a ton of money when you're doing an indie film as a casting director. But you're loving it. And um, so it was fun. And I would use some of the young soap kids that I had you know, had started on soaps in the indie film so they could get that experience too and people didn't know and they were like, oh my God, this person's amazing, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. So it was, uh, I thought, you know, but I did get a lot of grief at first with people who were like, why would you do that switch? But for me, it ended up being perfect. Totally. And you yeah. were able to give, I mean, Law & Order is is an extraordinary example of something that shoots in New York all the Law and Orders, all exactly. 700 of them. But, like, everyone had done a Law and Order. Yes. I mean, Suzanne, like, she's met every single actor yes. on the planet from doing that yes. show for With all Suzanne years. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. And did Suzanne start with Lynn Kressel? Were they yeah. partners? Oh, uh, I think I think it started out with Suzanne as her associate okay. when I and was there. Suzanne and then she – but she was doing it by the time, you know. Yeah. I think it was year two or three she was running, yeah. you know. And then, yeah, she got full credit. No, after. we were moving uh, – we wanted to move. And Dom did your soap like – that was the last job he did before he got Nurse Jackie. Yes, and we I know. Were, which... We were looking to move, and he'd never – we laughed. The other soap he had done was he was an extra when he was, like, one minute out of college. Right. And he played a reporter, I can't remember, maybe on All My Children, and he just remembers someone telling him, like, jump up and down a lot in the back, like the way a reporter <laughs> would, and that's how your parents will be able to find you when they watch your episode of All My Children. Um, I did All My Children, and I got to be Nurse Louise Serlin for a spell of time that Erica was in the hospital. Um, Was it an under five or a day player? I got to really be a character for a while. So much so, and I knew it was a big deal because they allowed me to wear a sweater. And if you were only an extra or an under five and a nurse... You could not wear a sweater. You could only wear the like, uniform. Oh and gosh, you know those hilarious. sound stages are freezers. Freezing. And my so, office was right across from it. I wore a scarf in July. So when they gave me a sweater, I was like, okay, first of all, you don't have to pay me. Just thank you for the sweater because my teeth have been chattering and every – but I remember wardrobe being like, you're coming back. So you can – like the crazy hierarchies 
on every show you work on, like, well, Jesse is the head nurse, and so she wears her pin. Um, like, right. Like, just these ways in which you're sort of set up to feel not important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you, instead of, like, everyone here is important, we want everyone to feel like right. they matter They're and part do of the, the best work from day one. You're like, are you freezing? Oh, that's because you're an extra. Yeah. Instead you don't of get a sweater. You, yeah. <laughs> because as an extra, this hospital looks like a real hospital <laughs> because you're here. Because if there were no other patients here, right. or waiting room staff, or receptionists, right. or anyone working, like then we wouldn't believe it was a hospital. But no, everything is set up in some crazy way. When yeah. you and Especially I run the, on world, the soaps, because yes. they were so old, they'd been running for so long that it was like certain series regs were like you know whatever wardrobe you know they got their own. You know, it was just funny to come into that and coming from Warner Brothers too, because. A lot of people were like, oh, we have a prime time, you know, and our writer at the time was Hogan Sheffer, who like, you know, was from DreamWorks and like had and, and is now doing um, prime time again and stuff. But like it was sort of like, oh, a lot of the daytime people were like, oh, why are they getting these new people who are, you know, shaking it up? And yeah. So it well, was Tootsie an interesting dynamic. Are two of my oh, favorite the movies, and the they best. completely highlight the things that we love yeah. about the. And by the world. way, a ton of our crew from As World Turns were in Tootsie. <laughs> oh <laughs> really? Soap-dish. Yeah, and I, since subsequently seeing those movies, I was like, oh my god, they're so and so. So they wanted it to feel legitimate yeah. when they're shooting the soaps. Yeah. Um, so you, by the way, uh, I this will now be the third time I say it out loud. Are the two time. <laughs> Emmy-winning <laughs> casting director. That must have been, like, the idea to kind of go, okay, I'll do this thing that wasn't exactly what I started out dreaming of doing, um, and I'm going to turn it into something amazing where I bring in, you know, Broadway actors and the best people, and I'm going to elevate, you know, this show in the way that I can. Right. And you are not only thanked, you are rewarded with, like, this coveted thing. That must have felt amazing. It, it did. I mean... The uh, now Sopranos won the Emmy, but it was I was the associate, so I have a plaque, but I didn't yes. get the statue. And Georgiana Chila were lovely and you know gave us our due, like we're gracious about it and stuff. But yeah. no, I wanted that statue myself. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things is they, I remember when I was interviewing, um, the exec producer said, you know, they now have the Emmy for casting, and I was like, I know, I know, you know. So, I. I loved the idea of it, but I didn't think when I first went there that 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 wasn't, like, why I did it or anything. But um, I got nominated my first year, which I couldn't believe, and didn't win that year. And I was like... I hate that. And you totally you think, think you're you going to... I was like, I never... I mean, you don't so tell like, when you oh. think you will, but there's a speech in your pocket, Oh, yeah, of like, people are lying if they think... I was like, oh, my God, I pictured it all, and yes. then it didn't happen. So what, the what? next year yeah. when I got nominated, I was like, eh, you know, okay... But then when I actually did, it was like, it just, it felt really good because your peers are who vote. So you're just like, and I had worked hard on trying to find new, I mean, new, but kind of interesting, funky day players. Yeah. And like kind of bring a little who more. weren't in the soap world. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it makes And recurring, it, yeah. you know, like these fun roles that I, I that it really like, because there were some really funny things. I mean, Dom, Dominic was Dom really spent, funny. And he, he, I had to talk him into that. I know. And then I remember, like, I was like, your character gets killed, so don't worry. Like, yes. it's not, you know. And then, like, two days in, he came into my office and was like, is there any way we can, like, yeah. resurrect my Yeah, character? can he take a shower and wake up? <laughs> oh, yeah, he spent 
weeks in bed with some beautiful, <laughs> like, Demi Moore lookalike. And yeah. I would be like, I don't, I, I don't want to hear about your day <laughs> at all. I don't, He'd come home so happy. He'd be like, she's so nice. We have such interesting conversations. I was like, mm-hmm. you're like, uh-huh. Yes, sure. about your Merkin. Like, what are you talking about? Um, but... He but and then I up, love that he got Nurse Jackie right after yes. that because I felt like I would hire people that happened all the time, like uh, you know what, Matt Morrison, like people it. would then like book yes. Lee, like it was like ah. Oh. I mean, luckily his character was killed, but it was always like someone I would hire and for recurring, and yeah. then of course they would book a you know, and then I'd be like screwed and have to recast yes. it. But it was like oh well, at least it's like good momentum, you know. You're like getting. But in I there. think to your point, like. Dominic came home, all kidding aside, and she was lovely, and I don't remember her name, and she was really beautiful. She was. Um, it, it was a set when he'd be sitting in, you know, their chairs waiting to shoot. It was filled with people that he had been on Broadway with. Like, it really was this club of incredible actors having this great time. Um, I want to just pivot a little bit okay. because things have switched so much post-COVID when we were having mm-hmm. this conversation. Um the world of self-taping has taken on a whole other dimension in terms yeah. of now you feel like you're succeeding in the process if you have a Zoom session with a creative who's actually working on the project. But right. it is mostly, no matter what level you're working at, um, self-tapes that get sent into a casting director with zero interaction for the most part maybe an agent has a conversation with a casting person or producer and, and downloads that information to you yeah. but it's like you're working in a pretty strange vacuum where you're also expected to be your lighting director your sound director your costumer right. and you're you have to hire or find a reader right so you're enlisting family members right. or your super on any yeah. given day <laughs> Or the doorman, whichever. Or like, can I, I don't have a blue pop-up background. Can I just use a white wall? Like all of that. Um, Sometimes I feel like just because we can, is it the best way to go? So now that means you can see so many more people for every part. That means you are being inundated. I can't even imagine how many self-tapes you're getting. Or do you keep it, how do you handle it for yourself? So you're like, okay, just because I can have 1,000 people now audition, right. I don't need 1,000 people. Oh, no, no, I, I, I keep it way more contained. So how do you do it? How do you kind of I mean, I hate to say this, now? but ideally I, I, go through the, I go through agents sure. and people that I know. I mean, yes, I can cast from my kitchen Louisville, but it's based on my relationships with, actor, with agents that I already know or actors right. that I already know. So I, I did get recently um, for this movie that was in pre-production that ended up not happening because of COVID, but it was a teenager role. So just like I, I opened it up to like non-agent, like, you know, actors access. And yes, I mean, the amount was, I was inundated, but usually I try um, and keep it to people that I have relationships with or people that I know they're actors and sort of keep it like that. But um, if it is a younger role where we're trying to find a new face or something, you, cast you sort a wider of do net. just have to cast a wider net. Before you took a, like a minute to have a family, which is fair, fair enough, <laughs> um, and actually spend time with said family. Uh, so you went on a little hiatus for a second and then just pivoted to doing it from Kentucky, as you've just described. Was social media, are you now for the first time dealing with the impact of social media? And do you feel pressure from producers to hire people 
with followings. Is that a myth, or if two actors are both being considered, do producers really look at how many followers they have? I mean, unfortunately, I think that that sometimes is in the conversation. So yeah. how, how is that? It, but in I the think more not for TV, okay. except for I think that would be more for indie film. Okay, because you're trying to get as many viewers and make as much money as you can with that. Right. So I do think with um, indie films that I've worked on, they talk about influencers and sort of like, oh, this person has a big following. That could be that good could for be us helpful. also for raising money and stuff like that. Whereas I don't know if TV, if that's necessary too much in the conversation because that, that TV show can catapult them into a bigger social media arena um, rather than it vice versa. Um but yeah, it's part of the conversation, and that is such a huge shift from when I, you know, when we moved, all first when I got started. pregnant, and moved, and yeah. and um, it's been it's even for casting, like the actual casting director. I mean, I I don't come from the world like casting was all word of mouth, and you just didn't um, self promote yourself, you know, like you didn't talk about as a casting director, I wouldn't have pictures of myself or like talk about, you know, and now it's like casting offices have Instagram feeds and, and all that. And p- huge casting directors that I've known forever. And I'm like, wow, that's Wait, so different. It used to feel very like, like we're behind the scenes and we, no one wants to see us or pay attention. But you explain know. it to me. Like in what, like, I mean, let's just make up, you know, Ann Fox, we're making up that name right. and she's a fancy casting director for big movies. Right. Why does what does Ann Fox, who we're making up, <laughs> why is her Instagram promoting her projects? Or like, why? Why? Why is she doing, doing that? Or yeah, I don't know I, I because that's what for me. I mean, I get like, uh, if you're coming in, like you know, I'm starting back in New York, so yeah, we're gonna like promote here and stuff like that. I get that and sort of just let people. I think people want to know, see behind the scenes now, and but it's like. I don't know. Casting always felt very closed, and you know, it just. Um, also, it's someone it's said the other day, experience. you don't want to see how the sausage is made. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just something where it is. It's a very personal. Actors don't want their auditions out there. You know, I mean, I and as a casting person, you respect that privacy and the works. You know, so it's interesting to come back and see this world with people having. You know, and I think they're posting very, you know, just like, oh, this project, or look who was yeah. cast, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. They're obviously not casting sessions or anything. But it is um, a different angle that I have to learn to, to just sort of deal with that as the casting person, you also are spoken. You know, you're a part of you're the story. You're part of the billboard <laughs> at this point. Um, I do, before I let you go, to cast all the things that you're going <laughs> to cast in New York with on your Instagram. Um what do you love the most about being a casting director that has kept you into it for decades at this point? I mean, it's session, casting sessions. I love watching actors bring a screen or a script to life. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, when I stopped and was raising my daughter and stuff, I would be like, oh, I'm going to switch careers and stuff. And then I would like go teach a class or I would I got roped into another movie and I'd have a session and just be so – I'd come home. My husband was like, oh, my God, you're – I go, this is – you know, I, I try to quit place. casting. But yeah. it just keeps pulling me back in. Back. And it's working with the actors. I yeah. just – I love seeing the choices they make and, you know, um, the talent. I just – it's really invigorating and to sort of work with them and stuff. It's, it's great. And that original seed that was planted in 
directing actors at IU right, and right. being able to still do that and kind of see it work. Yeah, exactly. And that is one thing I do because I'm kind of too much of a wimp to like be an actual director. Because <laughs> I remember on the soap, my boss was like, do you want me to teach you directing? You can do a couple episodes. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. But I do like working with an actor in a scene with that I'm auditioning. I feel comfortable making adjustments and stuff. But um, that's the kind of directing yeah, you like. That feels safe. The casting directing. Exactly. That's the title. <laughs> uh, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Yikes. Um, I guess maybe just that my Kentucky roots, being from Louisville, Kentucky, and I know a lot about horse racing. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and uh, bourbon. A lot. <laughs> so, I mean, just because I... Part of your it, culture. Yeah, yeah. Your DNA. And, and doing a lot of that and going... I think when I have friends from New York in and we go to the track and they're like, what? Like, and how you do you know how to bet? Yeah, You're yeah. deep in it. I love it. Yeah. I want to do that. That's I think it's just thing. my Kentucky roots. People are always like, I didn't know you were from Kentucky. And do you have an accent that you can kind of like heat up if you want? Or I, I you... never had a really thick one because I was raised in Louisville. But if I've been drinking, yeah. my eyes get softer and softer. <laughs> and, you know, and I still say y'all or you all, you know, and um, my... <laughs> My, I can't say umbrella right. I say umbrella and insurance. And people here insurance. are always like, it's insurance. I'm like, what? No, it's insurance. It's like, insurance. I don't even understand it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for the insurance. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm thank you so, for having me. It's been so fun. It's so fun. We're so glad you're back. Can't wait to see oh, all the So excited. Love bring. New York. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out, and I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that you You know. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.